0: Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. For more interviews, videos, and links to events, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. Welcome to our speakers and viewers. My name is Margot Landman. I am Deputy Vice President for Programs at the National Committee on US-China Relations. When we began thinking some time ago about a program on the US troop withdrawal from Afghanistan and its implications for Sino-US relations, we had no idea of the state of crisis we would find ourselves in today. Fortunately, we have with us now three experts who will help us to understand the current situation and what may happen down the line. Our experts include Nifa Yao joining us from Bishkek and Derek Grossman in Los Angeles. Moderating will be Daniel Markey, senior research professor at Johns Hopkins SAIS. His latest book published last year is entitled China's Western Horizon, Beijing and the New Geopolitics of Eurasia, very apropos. I will turn the floor over to Dan who will introduce the speakers. And begin with some context to set the stage for the rest of the discussion. Dan, it's all yours.
1: Great. Thank you, you, Margo. Uh, It's a real pleasure to be able to moderate this conversation today uh, for the National Committee on US China Relations. Um, What I want to do is briefly introduce our two speakers. Uh, Their full bios should be available on the website. Uh, First of all, we have uh, Derek Grossman, he's a senior defense analyst at RAND. He served for over a decade in the intelligence community, including at the Defense Intelligence Agency. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Southern California, and his work appears regularly in The Diplomat, as well as in other major publications. And we also have uh, Neva Yao, who is a researcher at the OSCE Academy in Bishkek, uh, Kyrgyzstan. She's a fellow at the Eurasia Program uh, of the Foreign Policy Research Institute in Philadelphia as well, and her writings on China's relations in its Western neighborhood have been featured in a wide range of international publications and news outlets. She's originally from Hong Kong, and she has been based in Bishkek uh, since 2018. So welcome to both of you. Uh, To kick things off, I'd like to just try to set the scene. Obviously, uh developments in afghanistan are moving very quickly uh we've seen uh sh- really shocking developments on the ground at least from a washington perspective over the past few weeks culminating of course in the taliban sweeping into kabul this past weekend unopposed uh at that point by government forces the afghan government uh effectively collapsed president ashraf ghani fled and has since re-emerged in the uae U.S. policy has shifted uh, pretty rapidly to uh, focus almost now entirely on humanitarian evacuations, uh, beginning with U.S. personnel and other international officials, and now increasingly focusing on Afghans who have worked closely with international partners uh, over the past two decades. For their part, the Taliban appear to be consolidating their control over the country, or at least trying to, They have put down some recent protests uh, out in the countryside and in some of the cities and have announced an amnesty for former government officials, as well as their own plans for forming a new government, a government that will be based, they say, on Sharia law and definitely not on democracy. Um, But the situation remains fluid. It's not clear how the Taliban will actually govern at home uh, or what sorts of relationships they're going to have with the rest of the world. And that's mainly what, uh, what we want to talk about today. I have a particular focus on how a post-America Afghanistan is likely to relate to China, uh, to understand better the view from Beijing, uh, and to understand better how the already difficult US-China relationship is likely to be affected by developments in Afghanistan. So uh, let me kick things off uh, with first a question to you, Derek. Um, we all know and have heard for, for a very long time about China's uh, principle of non-interference in the politics uh, of other states, but in recent years, Beijing has really seemed to play games with both the Afghan government and the Taliban, as well as other segments of Afghan society. And so for you, I'd like to maybe you can play around with this and try to figure out or interpret What Beijing has done what it's actually trying to accomplish inside of Afghanistan, whether it's remained true to this claim of non interference and whether if you push a little bit further, whether it can if it's if it has been non interfering so far, can it afford to stick with that uh, moving forward.
2: Yeah, thanks, Daniel. And, th- and thanks uh, to everybody for uh, hosting this event. So, uh, yeah, I would say that you're right. You're absolutely right that China's official policy is one of non-interference, but it's highly debatable whether they have been non-interfering in Afghanistan over the last few years. I mean, of course, we saw uh, last month on July 28th, uh, the Taliban leadership uh, were invited to, uh, to China for high-level discussions. Um, and, you know, it's not the first time that happened. In 2019, the Taliban also visited China. Um, you know, unofficially, there have been contacts dating back many, many years. So China's really sort of been preparing for this exact moment, uh, if it ever came to pass. And, of course, it did. Uh, and so now China, I think, um, feels it's still pretty nervous about Taliban leadership. They they can't exactly trust the Taliban. Will the Taliban do what it says in terms of making sure Afghanistan does not become a future hotbed of terrorism that could affect external states, including China, uh, even though the Taliban saying all the right things right now in their first ever press conference a couple of days ago, for example, um, you know, so they can't exactly trust them, but they also have gotten to know them over the last few years. And they have Pakistan, their iron, ironclad brother born of, you know, decades of partnership through all types of different um, uh, situations. And so I think they're going to rely a lot on Pakistan to better understand the Taliban and to try to trust them. The big question right now is, will China recognize, officially recognize the Taliban? And I think it's just a matter of time. I'm not going to put a time date on it, you know, uh, but I think it's probably weeks, maybe perhaps months, but it's certainly not years uh, because China wants to ensure that counterterrorism, its counterterrorism objectives are being met. Uh, and it also wants to access Afghanistan at some point in the future to extract natural resources, and to do that, you really have to recognize the Taliban at some point in time. But Great. yeah, ahead? you've touched
1: you touched on a lot of different things, and I want to be able to circle back a bit in our conversation to a few of them. Um, but let me just push you just just briefly on this. You know, it's one thing to to have conversations with the Taliban; it's another to be interfering, uh, so to speak, in the politics of Afghanistan. So. Um, regardless of where China draws the line, how do you interpret what they are doing and what they are likely to do? Uh, Talks, fine. Uh, Pushing them, cajoling them, incentivizing them, even bribing or paying them off. Uh, How far do you think China will go uh, to push its interests uh, in this way in Afghanistan?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the Chinese could easily turn that around and say, well, the U.S. meets with opposition leaders all the time. And so meetings, uh, by, the ver- by their very definition, do not meet the threshold of interfering. Um, but you know, you're right. I mean, have they been supporting Taliban leaders behind the scenes monetarily, with arms, uh, et cetera? And I think a lot of that uh, is not known publicly. Uh, and if we were to discover later on that, in fact, yeah, they have been supporting the Taliban quite a bit, um, then you know, that would be, a, I think, a clearer violation of their non-interference policy. But let's be honest though, the non-interference policy is on paper. It doesn't really matter in practice. China uses non-interference as a way to kind of differentiate itself from the U.S. and from other countries it believes in the West that are interfering in mostly authoritarian nations worldwide. Uh, and so it's trying to strike a contrast there, but in practice, it's doing much of the same things that we would do.
1: Good. Thanks. Yeah, Neva, I want to I bring you in now and get you to speak a little bit about uh, a recent conversation that got a lot of attention uh, between uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi and uh, Secretary of State Blinken when they talked about Afghanistan earlier this week. And, and my read of, of uh, at least the Chinese reporting here is that it was clear that Wang Yi took it as an opportunity to criticize U.S. policy certainly in Afghanistan, but but also, as is commonly done, to criticize the United States for efforts to, uh, quote, contain and suppress China. So it might not have been the easiest conversation. Uh, But at the same time, they talked about uh, ways that the United States and China might be able to uh, at least uh, coordinate, if not cooperate, on a variety of interests in Afghanistan. So I wonder, you know, what you make of the phone call, but also what you make of the potential for that kind of cooperation.
3: The tone of uh, criticizing the US is uh, a very common place that now we see with whichever diplomat that is uh, giving out a speech around the world. So this is no exception. But regarding Afghanistan, at this moment, the United States and China have one shared position. And that is that both countries want Taliban to establish an inclusive government including the former Afghan government and also uh, Taliban assurance that they will not harbor other international terrorist groups. And Wang Yi was uh, very clear about having more dialogue and actually work with the US on this uh, to prevent a new civil war and also humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. Uh, But uh, on the other hand, the options for Uh, China to actually stay engaged uh, and work with the Afghanistan situation do not necessarily align with the US options. China will most likely work within the mechanisms of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization to cushion the effects on the region and in Xinjiang on issues relating to radicalization of Islam, such as foreign fighter recruitment and weapons trafficking. Uh, Next month, we are expecting a formal signature at the SCO Head of State Summit in Dushanbe, Tajikistan, where Iran is going to sign on as an official member of the SCO. This now is going to allow for an all-round encirclement to contain the most immediate effects resulting from the international terrorist groups in Afghanistan. Um, But uh, in the case of SCO, the US actually has one option to use institutions such as uh, the OSCE to work with uh, the SCO. In fact, actually since 2016, there has been a closer relationship between SCO and OSCE in Central Asia, where SCO officials have been sitting at OSCE conferences and workshops, learning how the OSCE deals with terrorism and radical Islam issues, Uh, while being a majority European organization The US is a member of the OSCE and should empower and expand the work.
1: Interesting. So you've touched upon some of the mechanisms by which uh, the United States and China might at least indirectly uh, coordinate on on counterterrorism inside of Afghanistan, but one of the points that that Wang Yi also made was a, a point of criticism about the United States for uh, changing its stance on ETIM uh, in Afghanistan, and um, and that raises the question about whether the United States and China, when they even when they say the word terrorism, whether they mean the same thing. I'd be curious what you, Neva, what what you make of that on that point.
3: China right now has enough capacity to keep out the East Turkestan movement away from Xinjiang for sure. China's main concern given the current situation is about the revival of the East Turkestan activities in this neighborhood, which China has spent the past 20 years through the SEO to actually get rid of these activities. So if Afghanistan becomes an even more attractive hub for international terrorist groups, these activities, including those of the East Turkestans, will overspill to Central Asia. Uh, China at the SCO will step up efforts to keep out these effects. And this is an area that the US can come in and share experience, insights, and jointly combat uh, these activities of those uh, uh, international terrorist groups in Afghanistan. Even if the U.S. uh, does not reinstate the ban on East Turkestan, China will still need the experiences and the capacity from U.S. to support the expected increase of radicalization in Central Asia. This uh, cooperation will be valuable to U.S. to maintain presence in this region and continue to work with allies in Central Asia, such as Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan.
1: Interesting, so you've made the point, you would say that uh, ETIM is a serious threat or at least perceived that way by China and that maybe cooperation or learning from the United States could be helpful there. Um, Derek, let me, let me toss this back to you. I mean, do you see ETIM as a, as a real or potential real threat uh, to China? Is China, Beijing correct to fear that a, a Taliban-led Afghanistan will be a major security threat uh, to China or is this overblown? Um, and to what extent coming back to the cooperation with the United States, to what extent do our differences over Xinjiang and uh, the broader issues of um, uh, Uyghurs and separatism in China, how, how do those differences play out in terms of our views on Afghanistan?
2: Yeah, so I mean, whether ETIM actually exists or not, I think is a, is a point of huge controversy between the U.S. and China. Right at, You gotta look at the history here right after 9-11, um, as kind of an olive branch to Beijing, Washington put ETIM on the, ter- on the State Department's uh, terrorism list in 2002, uh, but the Trump administration last year took ETIM off. Uh, stating that you know there was no real evidence that the group even existed anymore. So, but Beijing at least thinks it does exist. Uh, and so that is, you know, I think, fueling a lot of their concerns about um, what just took place in Afghanistan and how the Taliban may support ETIM going forward. One of the things I saw recently, and I thought this was pretty interesting, is the last at least public uh, report that the Chinese have produced on um, t- Taliban support to ETIM, was in 2002, and it cited that there were at least 400 attacks or attempted attacks that were supported by the Taliban, uh, th- that were in which the ETIM was supported by the Taliban to conduct attacks in Xinjiang province. So, I mean, the concern I think is is real in that sense, um, but you know, we we can still debate about how this group is or whether it actually ex- exists from like a, you know, a Western definitional um, point about terrorist organizations. Uh, but then on your on your other um, point about Xinjiang, so I think you know, it's interesting, U.S.-China relations obviously have really deteriorated in the last few years, but one area in which there was always hope for cooperation was on Afghanistan, because when you think about it, the U.S. and China both want, in broad brushstrokes, stability, right? But when you kind of peel away that onion just a little bit, you find out that uh, the whole situation falls apart. Because for China, stability means Taliban or anybody, frankly, who can maintain control of the country. Human rights be damned, OK? And treatment of their own people be damned. Um, the US wants stability, but doesn't want to see the Taliban um, you know, take advantage of, uh, of the, the Afghan people. Uh, And so I think that that's going to be a real kind of um, dividing line that's going to crop up very, very soon. And it's going to be yet another area of U.S.-China irritation, unfortunately.
1: Great point. Um, Neva, uh, shifting gears a little bit, I know a lot of your work is focused on the Belt and Road, China's Belt and Road Initiative, uh, and the broader questions of of economic development in the region. And I guess the question that's on a lot of people's minds is, uh, how does this Uh, rapid deterioration of the situation in Afghanistan affect uh, China's view of the potential for Belt and Road, uh, and how China may go about uh, pursuing this initiative in the nearby neighborhood, the western neighborhood, uh, in light of these developments. And, you know, Derek earlier mentioned Pakistan, and I think this is a critically important piece of it because there had been some conversations about say extending the China-Pakistan economic corridor into Afghanistan. Is all that off the table now? What, what do you think Beijing will make of this uh, going forward?
3: The first time that uh, the t- topic of including Afghanistan into the Belt and Road initiative was uh, around 2016. Uh, I think if we end up with a, a solid Taliban victory, uh, China will not hesitate to recognize Taliban's legitimate political leadership uh, and to go in with a post-war reconstruction. China needs to create an economic leverage to secure an effective communication with Taliban uh, and Taliban can also use this uh, channel of Chinese uh, financial support to maintain its rule in areas where the Taliban leadership does not have a full grip on. So uh, specifically about uh, uh, the relation with uh, Pakistan and specifically about you know, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor and uh, the Belt uh, and Road Initiative, while well, both of these things are all about uh, connectivity. And yes, with a solid Taliban victory, it is uh, very likely to start seeing Chinese companies building roads and uh, connecting more parts of Afghanistan, but this is only a start Navigating the local dynamics will be very difficult for Chinese companies who want to start working on more expensive projects in the mining and oil and gas sector. Some areas uh, of Afghanistan will get more money than others and this is going to view a very different uh, local conflict dynamic that China is definitely not prepared for. Uh, Both uh, Pakistan and India welcome uh, connectivity projects with Central Asia via Afghanistan uh, this has been in the talks for years. So if we have a more stable and predictable environment in the region, this is definitely uh, good for not just uh, China, but also good for you know, US's policy in the region uh, for a long time, which is having a north-south connectivity between these two regions. Um, but uh, the problem is for China, working with uh, Pakistan is uh, actually centralized more at the highest level of the government. And it has been uh, stripping away the decision making power of uh, provincial level governments uh, granted by the local political structure, uh, as well as alienating many local communities on the ground. So this is a dynamic uh, between China and Pakistan right now. And with the Pakistan situation, it's going to uh, make uh, China's ties with uh, Pakistani government even closer. Uh, so all of this talk about Chinese investments, of course, uh, uh, is uh, expected but not expected you know, in the next few months is in the medium term after we see a more uh, stable situation in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm.
1: Great, thank you. Uh, Derek, uh, just picking up on something Neva, one piece of what Neva was just talking about and you had mentioned before this issue of uh, diplomatic recognition uh, by China of of Afghanistan of the circumstances in Afghanistan and you you opened by by uh, speaking a bit about this I just wonder um, given what neva was just talking about about the economic uh, potential there in what ways is the diplomatic recognition issue materially important uh, going forward it's important for China and Afghanistan in economic terms in what other terms and and how might it play into the china-us relationship as well
2: yeah well the, so before the taliban took power on august 15th they had uh, made a series of statements through their spokesman um, one of them was that the taliban would not interfere in china i'm paraphrasing here but essentially it was that the taliban would not seek to interfere in the internal affairs of china and that was music to the leadership's ears in beijing right i mean and that's that's code for we're not going to mess with xinjiang uh, another statement that the Taliban made in the run up uh, to them seizing power again uh, was on Chinese investment in infrastructure development programs in Afghanistan. The Taliban said that they are welcomed to help in post-war reconstruction. And so if you're China, you have to think if we delay on recognizing the Taliban, if we wait months and others jump in, if Pakistan, Iran, maybe Russia, right? What is that going to look like for us? Are, we, are Is the Taliban going to kind of start to reverse the, those moments of goodwill that it showed before, before, the, ta- before the takeover? Uh, and you know, we don't want to get left out of that. So I think it's an important thing that they got to be thinking about right now in Beijing.
1: That's great. Um, let, me, let me now, we've got only a little bit of time left, but I want to talk about the, the US-China bilateral relationship. And uh, one of the points that's that's come up a number of times, at least in the media, uh, is uh, a desire on the part of certain Chinese officials, it seems, to draw connections between what the United States has done in Afghanistan uh, and what the United States might or might not do in Taiwan. Um, and this is a pretty pretty sensitive issue. But I wonder, you know, uh, Derek, let's start with you. You know, how should Taiwan view U.S. security guarantees in the light of um, an apparent lack of commitment to a different ally and a very different part of the world in Afghanistan. How are, are these things connected, or, or should we see them as very separate separate issues?
2: Yeah, I know there's been a lot of discussion about this, unfortunately. Um, and you know, I think they're apples and oranges. Frankly, um, we were in Afghanistan for 20 years. Trying to build up their security forces to withstand, you know, the Taliban, right? And we we decided that we had had enough. Um, if China, God forbid, were ever to try to invade Taiwan or anything short, take military action short of that against Taiwan, Taiwan needs to know that the United States is going to uh, intervene and assist it uh, in repelling those attacks. That is dramatically a different scenario than what we saw in Afghanistan, and I don't think that there's. I think there's very little reason for Taiwan to question our commitments to the island. Um, You know, there's a lot of other points I could raise, but I'll I'll leave it there because I know we're short on time.
1: That's great. Let me let me uh, begin to wrap up. Uh, Neva, you're you're in a different part of the world. Sitting in Bishkek, uh, you know, you've got a different perspective. and, And one of the things that I imagine is more on your mind, in addition to how Central Asian states are seeing things in Afghanistan, would be how Russia is seeing things and how this unraveling in Afghanistan plays into the Russia-China relationship. Do you you think they're on the same page uh, in Afghanistan, Russia and China? Um, Do you think that this will will play to further advance um, what seems to be a remarkable alignment uh, that persists between them? Or or do you think this will be an irritant, uh, like some other issues in the region uh, actually push China in different directions from Russia?
3: When it comes to Afghanistan right now, Russia and China are definitely on the same page. Uh, Particularly, I expect that through the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, China and uh, Russia will definitely work together to provide more security capacity to the countries bordering Afghanistan, uh, because both China and Russia do not want to see Central Asia become radicalized. Uh, millions of people from Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan work in Russia as uh, low-skilled workers, and Russia depend on these populations for its economy, but they also at the same time bring a high risk of terrorism when the region becomes more radicalized. And China as well believes that a radicalized Central Asia will bring their ideologies to Xinjiang with human mobility through businesses and family links. So both Russia and China wants to maintain a... Uh, is positioned in Central Asia as the security provided in order to cushion these effects. And uh, we can expect many more initiatives within the SEO, um, especially in the coming month with the summit.
1: That's great. So continuing with this question of potential alignments um, and wrapping up, I guess, Derek, let me turn it back to you. Um, you If China and the United States can see through to find pieces of cooperative ventures in Afghanistan, particularly on countering terrorism, as, as we've talked about a bit so far, Does that, is that likely to make much of a difference to their ability to cooperate in other venues? Um, you know, you, you mentioned how the, the broader bilateral has really deteriorated over the years. Is Afghanistan still an opportunity for, for um, you know, finding some positive out of this? Uh, and potentially uh, working to to find avenues of cooperation, say on climate change or
2: or elsewhere.
1: Is is there anything positive here in terms of the US-China relationship?
2: Yeah, it's a that's a that's a good question, a tough one to answer. I my view is that China actually now has the inside track on Afghanistan and has the and therefore has the leverage because they have Pakistan. Pakistan has developed a relationship. Over decades with the with the new rulers of Afghanistan, the Taliban, right? Uh, and so, what are we really going to offer China in Afghanistan? That's what I'm trying to figure out, you know, on your question. Uh, and you know, the Chinese would love to, you know, do something for us in exchange for something really big, you know, uh, concessions on Taiwan or something like or South China Sea, something like that. But we're at least under the Biden administration, we're not going down that path. We're looking at climate change and. Non-proliferation and things like that, uh, and so you know I don't really see much leverage anymore. Unfortunately, I hate to be cynical about it, but that's the truth.
1: So the United States doesn't have much leverage to get to entice the Chinese to cooperate in this area. But um, but Neva, I mean, you've suggested that there's at least some degree of overlapping concern with respect to um, to terrorism. So I guess maybe I'll frame it a different way. Uh, even if the United States has relatively less to offer, you've suggested China could learn some lessons from uh, at least technical lessons, uh, U.S. tactical uh, efforts against, uh, against terrorist organizations. Do you see the potential that that might bleed over, in a sense, into in a positive way, into other aspects of U.S.-China relations? Or, or is this just a very Afghanistan-specific area of cooperation that probably isn't going to redound to the broader to the benefit of the broader bilateral uh, relationship. Uh,
3: this is definitely a very Afghanistan specific situation because uh, right now, China and US are on the same page in the sense that they have the same interests regarding these terrorist groups that are uh, radical uh, Islamic groups that uh, see US as the enemy. But at the same time, uh, uh, this is not you know, China's uh, a friend and neither because China also do not want to see more Islamic uh, radical groups, uh, particularly uh, uh, in Central Asia and also in other parts of the world, in the Eurasia uh, continent. So uh, whereas the climate change issue for China, uh, you know, like many other things like the non-intervention you know, policy, you know, the efforts that China say they will commit to is uh, just uh, um, letters on a piece of paper. Uh, When we look at what actually China is doing domestically uh, regarding climate change, we see that nothing is really happening. It's all just promises and no uh, commitments. And this is, you know, China put their economy first and they will not commit to any policies that reverse uh, the economic stability of China. So when it comes to climate change, uh, this is uh, not uh, an area that China and U.S. will actually find uh, common ground. But uh, Afghanistan uh, uh, can be because uh, the US and China right now do have a common interest.
1: So, not, not a lot of potential linkage there. Um, I guess, uh, you know, again, because you're, you're sitting in Central Asia, I'd be curious to follow up on what China has done very specifically on the ground uh, in the neighborhood on, in a security sense. Um, a number of reports over the years in terms of Uh, Chinese activities in Tajikistan, um, and uh, trying to stem the flow of uh, people and fighters, even even just ideas, propaganda, and so on, into China. Do you perceive that more of that is likely uh, now? What what do you make of China's willingness to take an active or more active security role uh, on Afghanistan's border?
3: So we have to uh, keep in mind that you know what China is worried about is not uh, that Taliban or terrorist groups getting into China, but what China cares about the most is that Central Asia becomes more radicalized. So in this sense, uh, China's prime strategy right now is making sure that there is border security in Central Asia uh, amongst the different Central Asian countries and also between the borders of Central Asia and China. So in the past five years, we've seen uh, an annually. Uh, military exercises and border exercises that, you know, go to these borders and inspect. And also China is uh, mapping, uh, undergoing a 3D mapping actually of the border between China and Central Asia. And this is going to, uh, uh, you know, have satellites that uh, monitor the mobility in that region. So uh, China is not so much uh, incapable of this. And uh, at the same time, uh, we have to bear in mind what is China's uh, biggest concern and that is radicalization in Central Asia. So one of the very interesting things that China has done in the past couple of years is that since 2015, China has implemented many uh, policies and initiatives within the SCO, specifically on cybersecurity. And this is not about hacking into websites, hacking into government infrastructure, but this is about how international terrorist groups are using the internet to recruit fighters to go to Afghanistan or go to Syria or they are using internet to promote ideology of radicalization and support different uh, international terrorist groups. So China has been hosting uh, a cybersecurity uh, exercise uh, every two years since 2015 in Xiamen under the structure of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. And uh, this has massively increased uh, the capacity of Central Asian uh, forces in dealing with uh, these websites and uh, effectively uh, shutting them down and it is uh, an area that uh, will definitely increase now.
1: Great, well, it looks like we're, we're running uh, out of time or we've run out of time, but I do wanna thank both of you, uh, not only for, for your insights, but for insights that um, in some ways contrast with uh, some of the public reporting uh, that has focused so extensively on things, um, you know, whether it's uh, the connection with Taiwan, uh, or the uh, ways in which China might become more immediately involved in Afghanistan that seem, at least according to this, our conversation, a little less likely. So uh, I think in a quick amount of time, we've we've gotten past the headlines uh, into the depth, and, and I really appreciate both of you for doing that. Thank you.
0: Thank you all so much. I want to reiterate what Dan just said. I think events have happened so incredibly quickly that a lot of the reporting has been breathless. And all three of you have encouraged us all to take deep breaths and step back and think about what's happening in the broader context, the historical context, the geographical context, and that's an incredible service to everybody who's really concerned about an obvious flashpoint in the world. So thanks to the three of you, thanks to our audience for sticking with us, and thanks to the National Committee staff who've made today's interview possible. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.